Good morning, and welcome to our Sunday service today. Let us start our worship with number 433, Near to the Heart of God. to worship this morning call to worship this morning is psalm 85 1 through 7 lord thou hast been favorable unto thy land thou hast brought back the captivity of jacob thou hast forgiven the iniquity of thy people thou hast covered all their sin Selah. thou hast taken away all thy wrath Thou hast turned thyself from the fierceness of thine anger. Turn us, O God of our salvation, and cause thine anger toward us to cease. Wilt thou be angry with us forever? Wilt thou draw out thine anger to all generations? Wilt thou not revive us again, that the people may rejoice in thee? Show us thy mercy, O Lord, and grant us thy salvation. Amen. And I think that last line in the middle of all of this is one of the reasons why Augustine and many of the church fathers chose this psalm of all the psalms as a Christmas psalm. Let's continue to worship singing number 214, Good Christian Men Rejoice. 214. Oh, and- 
thank you that we can gather here this morning to worship you. There's something special about being gathered together as your people. You want us to not do things alone, but in community, in family. We thank you that we are your church family and that you are our father through your son, Jesus Christ. Please help us to focus totally on you. Please blot out all distractions and please protect us from anything that may try to disturb our focus on you and our worship of you. We ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. And now uh, let's take our uh, bulletin inserts and pray together our congregational prayer of confession. Almighty and most merciful Father, we have erred and strayed from thy ways like lost sheep. We have followed too much the devices and desires of our own hearts. We have offended against thy holy loss. We have left undone those things which we ought to have done, and we have done those things which we ought not to have done. But thou, O Lord, have mercy upon us. Spare thou those, O God, who confess their faults. Restore thou those who are penitent according to thy promises declared unto mankind in Christ Jesus our Lord. And grant, O most merciful Father, for his sake, that we may hereafter live a godly, righteous, and sober life to the glory of thy holy name. Amen. And, of course, John has the answer to that. Like, did that mean anything? Of course it did. Because if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's true, which is what amen means. And now, uh, just turn your bulletin inserts to the inside, and we will sing, Shout to the Lord. My Jesus, my Savior, Lord, there is none like you. All of my days, I want to praise the wonders of your mighty Mom! 
Scripture this morning is from Ezra and Luke. This is Ezra chapter 1, 1 to 4. Now, in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be fulfilled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and put it also in writing, saying, Thus saith Cyrus, king of Persia, The Lord God of heaven hath given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he hath charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Who is there among you of all his people? His God be with him, and let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and build the house of the Lord God of Israel. He is the God which is in Jerusalem. And whosoever remaineth in any place where he sojourneth, let the men of his place Help him with silver, and with gold, and with goods, and with beasts, besides the free will offering for the house of God that is in Jerusalem. <clears throat> and this is chapter 3 of Ezra, 1 to 4, and 10 to 13. And when the seventh moon was come, and the people of Israel were in the cities, the people gathered themselves together as one man to Jerusalem. Then stood up Jesua, the son of Josdak, and his brethren, the priests, and Jerob the Bell, the son of Shiltel, and his brethren, and builded the altar of the God of Israel to offer burnt offerings thereon, as it is written in the law of Moses, the man of God. And they set the altar upon his bases. The fear was upon them because of the people of those countries 
and they offered burnt offerings thereon unto the Lord, even burnt offerings morning and evening. They kept also the Feast of Tabernacles, as it is written, and offered the daily burnt offerings by number, according to the custom, as is the duty of every day required. I have 10 through 13. And when the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, they set the priests in their apparel with trumpets, and the Levites, the sons of Asaph, with cymbals, to praise the Lord after the ordinance of David, king of Israel. And they sang together by course in praising and giving thanks unto the Lord, because he is good, for his mercy endureth forever toward Israel. And all the people shouted with a great shout when they praised the Lord, because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. But many of the priests and Levites and chiefs of the fathers, who were ancient men that had seen the first house when the foundation of this house was laid before their eyes, wept with a loud voice, and many shouted aloud for joy, so that the people could not discern the noise of the shout of the joy from the noise of the weeping of the people. For the people shouted with a loud shout, and the noise was heard afar off. Then we have Luke chapter 2, 25-32. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And the same man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Ghost was upon him. And it was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost, that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came by the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him after the custom of the law, then took he him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, Now lettest thou thy servant depart in peace according to thy word. For mine eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared before the face of all people, a light to lighten the Gentiles, and the story of thy people, Israel. Amen. Amen. This is the word of God. And now um, let us go to the Lord in prayer. God of renewal, with each brilliant sunrise, you remind us that you always bring your people out of darkness and into the light of your Son, the Savior. We confess that based on our perceptions and understanding, we see our world as going to hell in a handbasket. But in this season of Advent, we remember in his first coming, Jesus brought joy that overcomes despair and discipline. And we believe your word that with his soon coming return, all who know him in the spirit will experience joy invincible. Many things that disturb us are outside our sphere of influence, except for our greatest weapon, intercessory prayer. So we pray for what is happening in Gaza and Israel. We know that what has happened is in your will, even if it's incomprehensible to us. And we pray that your will there, 
among all the people, the Israelites, Palestinians, and Hamas, will indeed be accomplished, even if we do not like it. And we pray similarly for Ukraine, Russia, and the evil elite there. May your will be done, and we dare to believe for some remarkable conversions. And we pray for the United States Congress, that in spite of many self-serving and contentious members, at the end of the day, they will do right. And we pray for one more great awakening in the world. Even in Nigeria, where over half of the Christians being murders in the world live there. It's, it's incredible. I think I calculated it once. A Christian is murdered every two hours in that country. We pray as well for China, North Korea, Nicaragua, Iran, Iraq, where the oppression is more spiritual and aimed at the soul of people. May the faithful, loving witness of your people through the Spirit cause even some of the hardest of hearts to surrender to Jesus. And we know that what you have planned for the last day is better than anything we have ever seen or experienced. And we pray for ourselves in Jesus' body. We pray for Christine and Elin you know what they need. For Allie and her family, Peter, Linda, Billy, Norgie, their mother, may they experience your presence, your presence of hope, peace, joy, and love. Father, we pray for Debbie to have a full recovery and for my sister that she'll finally get a clean bill of health and have a successful move on Tuesday. We pray for Ken, Kurt and Dory, Rob, Sally, and Jimmy. And also we pray for the meeting we'll be having with Pastor Paula and some of the people of the Haitian Church of the Nazarene to finalize a special uh, candlelight service uh, next week on Sunday evening and uh, how we will join together for that. And please help me to correctly speak your word and interpret and apply it so that we are all changed to be Christ's ambassadors where you have placed us. And please be in the sacrament as we celebrate it as our ultimate and final act of worship this morning. And now we thank you that Jesus gave us a prayer that covers everything in a few words. So we pray it to you together with one heart and one voice. Pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And before um, we light our next Advent candle, the third one, let us uh, sing number 199, It Came Upon the Midnight Clear. 199. Still true, though. 
with peaceful wings unfurled, and still their heavenly music floats o'er all the weary world. Above this bed and your bulletin inserts again, and we will do our responsive reading for the third candle of Advent. Uh, Joy has many aspects, and this reading has to do with, with the light, the light of the world of Jesus. Listen to me, you who pursue righteousness, who seek the Lord. Look to the rock from which you were hewn, and to the quarry from which you were dug. Indeed, the Lord will comfort Zion. He will comfort all her waste places, and her wilderness he will make like Eden, and her desert like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness will be found in her, thanksgiving and sound of a melody. My righteousness is near, my salvation has gone forth, and my arms will judge the peoples. The coastlands will wait for me, and for my arm they will wait expectantly. Amen. Um, Yeah, the final day of judgment is going to be a total separation from those who live by the faith of God and those who did things on their own. But for those of us that know God, it will be the cause of the greatest joy, joy like we've never experienced. So now we will light the first three Advent candles, hope, peace, and joy.
Well, one thing I question as an American is the right to pursue happiness. Now, I do believe everyone has this right, but a cynic would be quick to point out that no one has ever succeeded in this pursuit by his or her own self. It's humanly unattainable. You see, God made every human being in such a way that happiness and joy can only be found through coming to him and experiencing an intimate knowledge with him. You see, the people who come to know him on his terms, in other words, trusting fully in his Savior Son and receiving his gracious gift so that they can live by his instruction given in the book that he inspired people, prophets, to write. These are the ones who will be filled with his love and experiencing the wonderful love of God in Jesus through the Holy Spirit is the only source of pure joy in all circumstances, even when we have to be disciplined by Father God. So the joy that comes to people living as God's children and doing what he says out of gratitude to him for who he is and what he does. This results in happiness exceeding anything attained by human effort or pursuit. So, the exiled Jews who returned to Jerusalem from Babylon in 538 B.C. learned all this the hard way. Seventy years before this, their grandparents, parents, and those who we could say were probably 75 years or older at this time had all placed themselves, their desires, and various other things above the covenant God and their love for him. And as a result, they were carried to Babylon after Jerusalem was totally destroyed, including the temple, by fire. But through Jeremiah, God also said that they uh, were to marry and have children in their captivity. And that 70 years later, Babylon would be judged and God would restore his people from their captivity in compassion. God is a compassionate God. And this is what the passages in Ezra that we heard read described. The returned exiles built a new altar. They laid the foundation for the temple. However, it was not as glorious as the first temple built under Solomon. But the prophet Haggai, who was contemporary with this, as well as the the prophet Zechariah. Haggai said that the glory of this second temple would eventually be greater than the formal. Now, all of Luke's gospel together tells what Jesus did in this second temple after Herod had updated it and and made it very ornate. Um, And it's starting from the time we just heard read when his mother Mary went there for her purification after childbirth. So with this introduction and lead-in, let's look more carefully at our passages. The first two portions of Ezra say how Cyrus, king of Persia, sent God's people to Jerusalem to build the temple. They build an altar, and they sacrifice burnt offerings on it, and then they celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles or Booths. It's really pretty much the same thing. So in chapter 1, we find out that in the first year that he was king, Cyrus invites the remnant of God's people to go to Jerusalem, each one carrying whatever may be needed to build God's house. Now let's go through it word for word. 
in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, to fulfill the word of Yahweh by Jeremiah, he stirred the spirit of Cyrus to send throughout his kingdom in writing. Thus says Cyrus, all the kingdoms of the earth, Yahweh God of heaven has given me, and he charged me to build a house for him in Jerusalem. So the word of the covenant God by Jeremiah about 70 years before this also included a new temple. It would be totally rebuilt, even the place of worship. And here's the thing that kind of freaks me out. Okay, this is 538 BC, 150 years earlier. And as they say, you can look it up in Isaiah 45. Isaiah had named Cyrus by name as the one anointed Messiah and chosen by Yahweh to act on behalf of his chosen people. And that's what's happening with this declaration. And the declaration continues. Who of all his people, his God will be with him. He will go up to Jerusalem and Judah, and he will build the house of Yahweh God of Israel. He is God in Jerusalem. Actually, farther reaching, but he didn't know that. So, God with him. And what Cyrus is doing is asking a question of all of God's people. Who will go to Jerusalem to build Yahweh's house? And then he concludes this declaration by saying, each remaining in each place which he is sojourning, he will lift up, yes, him, the men of his place in silver and gold and goods and animals with free will offerings for the house of God in Jerusalem. So all of God's people who are living as strangers, sorry, strangers or sojourners far from home in what used to be Babylon, they're now charged with coming together and to carry everything needed for God's house in the animals for the sacrifices there. We're still under Moses. And free will offerings are described in Leviticus, particularly chapter 22. And I remember preaching through Judges over 15 years ago. The prophetess Deborah praised Yahweh for the men of Israel who freely offered themselves. That's the greatest offering we can make. To God, I surrender all. They offer themselves to fight Sisera's army, Judges 5. Now, the beginning of chapter 3, in the seventh month, those who return gather to build the altar and then to offer burnt offerings and celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles or booths. So starting with chapter 3, then came the seventh month, and the sons of Israel in the cities were gathered together in Jerusalem. Now, this autumn month, which would be our September, October, had the last three of the seven feasts of Israel they celebrated every year. First came trumpets on the new moon. Then on the 10th of the month, what we could say was the greatest of them all, the Day of Atonement. And then on the day of the full moon, the 15th of the month, the Feast of Tabernacles or Booths, which was a seven-day feast, was launched. Okay, and Passover, Pentecost, and Booths. Those were the three times when all the men of Israel and with their families must appear in Jerusalem for worship. And then we're told, then stood up Yeshua with his brothers, the priest, and Yeruvavel, which is kind of interesting. It just means born in Babel. So when they were in captivity, I'll get to that later, what they were told to do. He and his brothers, then they built an altar to offer burnt offerings, as was written in the Torah of Moses, the man of God. So the son of Jehozadak, which means uh, Yahweh is righteous, was the high priest, and the son of Shealtiel was the governor of God's people, okay, under the authority of Cyrus, but he was still the governor. 
Then they established the altar in its place because terror on them from the people of the lands. And then they offered on it burnt offerings to Yahweh morning and evening. So these returnees were actually dreading the people of the other nations surrounding them. They were terribly outnumbered. So they established the altar as an act of faith in God and his Torah given through Moses. So here's something that we should take to heart because the world isn't that good of a place if you haven't noticed. But worship, worship of the God of grace is how people overcome the fear of powerful enemies. Like, what can we do about it? Well, I love this verse from 1 John. God's perfect love casts out all fear. There's no need to fear men if we know God and his love. And if you look at Numbers 28, you will see that the priests for the people every morning were to offer a burnt offering on the altar and every evening a burnt offering on the altar. And that's what this is telling us. So, finishing the first half of Ezra 3, they kept the Feast of Booths, having been written day by day, like I said, all seven, according to the ordinance of the word each day. This last feast of the worship calendar was to remember how their ancestors lived in booths in the wilderness after Yahweh delivered them out of their slavery in Egypt. Crossing the Red Sea and being set free from physical slavery, that was the cross of the Old Testament. Now, finishing up the Ezra passage and transitioning into what we heard from Luke, First, the people thank Yahweh in song at the completion of the foundation. And there are triumphant shouts and weeping because of memory. And then fast forward a while, some 540 years, Simeon is holding the baby Jesus as Mary purifies herself. And Simeon blesses God because he has seen salvation. So, going back to Ezra's day, after establishing this foundation of his house, the people, meaning Israel, they thank Yahweh in song, and then they shout in triumph and weep from memory. So the surrounding people, which they had been terrified of for a while, these surrounding people just absolutely cannot distinguish the joy from the weeping. And think about it, it's a fine line. It's very easy to go from weeping to pure joy and vice versa. So, going to the text, they building the temple of Yahweh established foundation. Then stood the priests being clothed, they had their priestly robes on, with trumpets and Levites, Levites, son of Asaph, which means he will add, with symbols to praise Yahweh according to David's hand. Literally. The workers established the foundation on which the new temple would be built. Now, if you remember, we went through Chronicles about eight or so years ago. David told Solomon that the pattern for that first temple was given to him by the hand of Yahweh upon him for wisdom and understanding, First Chronicles 28. And then all the people responded, give thanks and praise to Yahweh for is good. For to eternity steadfast love of him to Israel. And then all the people shouted, great shout, because had been established the house of Yahweh. Well, this is the same song. In English, it's often translated, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. Like I said, you'll find it over a dozen times in the Bible, and we heard it two weeks ago in our Jeremiah passage. Now, they shouted 
in triumph. Why? And get this. It wasn't because they were so strong. They shouted in triumph because of what God had done for them. They knew they couldn't do this without God. God's people have joy because he is now behind the rebuilding of the destroyed temple. But think about this bigger picture all of our lives. God is also, even now, through Jesus Christ, rebuilding homes, relationships, and the righteousness that is of faith. People, we can have joy. Why? Because God can rebuild whatever was destroyed. And then we're told many priests, Levites, and chiefs of fathers, elders who had seen the first house, when established this house in their eyes weeping in a loud voice, and many with a shout of joy raised their voice. Okay. I said it in the introduction. I'm guessing anybody who was 75 years or older would have been five years old and seen that first temple and probably had some memory of it. And this was not going to be the same. They knew it. So they wept. They wept. And something that we should be aware of, and I know sometimes I'm just insensitive and don't think about it when I'm so joyful in God. But may we seek to comfort those who are weeping while we're celebrating. I think God really wants us to do that. Let us be aware of how others feel, our brothers and sisters. And we also need to learn to praise God, even when it seems that life was better in previous generations. Funny thing happened to me when I turned 70 and I was talking to my sister and we were talking about some good things that happened and we said, was that 50 years ago? We can't live in the past. We must believe God for the future. And by his grace, we will be able to have joy. Why? Because God can rebuild whatever is destroyed. So don't lament the old days. God can bring something better. And the raising of shouts of joy anticipated Zechariah's prophecy. And I think I already said it. Haggai and Zechariah were prophesying at this very, very time. And Zechariah said, not by my, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. For who has despised the day of small things? We might not think God is answering our prayers in totality. But let us just rejoice for the foretaste that he's giving us and what he is doing for us. Now the people discerning sound of joy from sound of weeping, the people, people shouted with a great shout. And the sound was heard from a distance, okay? Um, oh, the people just couldn't discern it. I think I said the wrong word there. But like I said, there's a thin line between weeping and joy. So those living beyond Jerusalem couldn't tell what the people were doing, good or bad. But again, Haggai had a prophecy more specific than Zechariah's. He said, the glory of this new temple will surpass the old, says Yahweh, Sabaoth, that's the New Jerusalem translation. And further, at the end of Haggai's prophecy, Yahweh said to his people, from this day on, I will bless you. With this, Yahweh is preparing his people for the coming Messiah. In the joy that he brings, God can rebuild what has been destroyed. And that's what Jesus accomplished with his first coming. Now let's go to our passage in Luke. Um, as Mary is bringing her purification offering to the temple, which, by the way, Herod had lots of money and they had upgraded it, and it probably, humanly speaking, surpassed the glory of Solomon's temple by this time. Simeon was led by the Spirit. He took Jesus in his arm, and he blessed God, 
saying, my eyes have seen thy salvation, light to nations and glory to Israel. So, um, you know, you know, in the King James, but this is really a literal translation of the Greek. This passage starts, behold, that's saying, wake up. This is an important story. Man was being in Jerusalem whose name Simeon in this man, righteous and devout, waiting consolation of Israel and Holy Spirit being on him. So Simeon means hearing. And he was a righteous and devout man in English, waiting for God's consolation. In this word is paraklesis. And we should compare this with parakletas, which is the comforter, the name that Jesus used for whom he will send when he goes back to the Father. And we're told the Holy Spirit was upon him. And in that very same chapter I just referenced, John 14, Jesus said, with you all, he is dwelling the Spirit. And in you all, he will be. And that's the promise fulfilled at Pentecost. So it was being to him, Simeon, had been disclosed by the Holy Spirit not to see death before he might see the Christ, which is Greek for Messiah of Lord God. So the Spirit had graciously revealed to Simeon God would let him see Messiah before he died. And he came in the spirit into the temple. And to bring the parents of the child Jesus, meaning they brought him, to do them according to had been the custom to do of the Torah concerning him. That's kind of a convoluted passage. It's classical Greek, but it doesn't really fit English. What's going on here? The Spirit, the Holy Spirit, graciously brought and guided Simeon to the temple when Mary was performing the purification of childbirth offering. And for a male, it would be 40 days after the birth, Leviticus 17. And he himself took him, Jesus, in his arms, and he blessed God and said, Now thou art releasing thy servant, Matthew. And he uses a strong word here. According to thy word of peace. So taking Jesus in his arms, knowing in his spirit that Jesus is Messiah, he blessed God in worship. And then with joy, he declares he has peace because God has fulfilled his word to him that he would see Messiah who would rebuild Israel who was still crushed as a people under the oppression of the nation, specifically Rome. But Simeon also knows we can have joy because God can rebuild whatever was destroyed. Then he continues, Simeon, because have seen my eyes thy salvation... Thou have made ready before the face of all people. You see, with Jesus, God is extending his offer of salvation to all the people on planet Earth. And then Simeon closes his doxology, his, his, his good word, uh, a light to revelation of the nations and glory of thy people Israel. So in the temple, as I said, Herod had updated already. Non-Jews, they were only allowed in the court outside of the inner court of the temple. They couldn't go through the gates and actually be in the presence of the temple court. But, When Jesus made a new temple of his body, here's the awesome thing we should all be glad of. I don't know, I don't think any of us has Jewish DNA in us. But what is now the case, it includes the nations, people from every nation in his temple on equal footing with the people 
the people of Israel. And you can read about that in Ephesians 2. So, to pull everything together, from all that we've heard, may we be helped by the Holy Spirit to know God has fulfilled his word, even when it is only now partially fulfilled because Jesus has not come back. But the new temple of the church of Jesus Christ is being built, and it will one day be complete. And Jesus said that soon. Of course, soon could be any time from now for a 100 years or more. It is incomplete now, but when Jesus returns, it will be even better than the glorified second temple. Because you see, when God renews something, we see that renewal is better than whatever went before. So don't lament the past that you're missing. Look forward to the future we have in God, in Jesus. It will be full of joy. Let's wrap it all up. And this is history. (laughs) Through King Cyrus, Yahweh's people returned to Jerusalem, built his altar to offer burnt offerings, and they celebrated the Feast of Boozer Tabernacle. And after finishing the temple foundation, they thanked Yahweh in song and shouted to him in triumph, though some wept at the memory of the first house. However... They could listen to Haggai a little later, and he said this house would have far more glory because that's where Jesus appeared. 540 years later, as Jesus' mother Mary made her offering at this temple, Simeon took Jesus, blessed God, because he had seen the Savior, a light to the nations and Israel's glory. Why can we have joy? Because God can rebuild what was destroyed and even better. So now let's prepare our hearts for communion singing 265. Let us break bread together. Let us break bread together. so good because that's when God does not give us what we deserve for the things we've left undone and the things we shouldn't have done. Well, let's take our bulletin inserts and we will do together our responsive reading to prepare for communion. The table of bread is now to be made ready. It is the table of company with Jesus and all who love him.
So come to the table, you who have much faith, and you who would like to have more. Loving God, through your goodness, may we know your presence in the sharing, so that we may know your touch and presence in all things. Let us now pray. Holy Lord God, by what we do here in remembrance of Christ, we celebrate his perfect sacrifice on the cross and his glorious resurrection and ascension. We declare that he is Lord of all and we prepare for his coming kingdom. We pray for you, Holy Spirit, This bread may be for us the body of Christ and this cup the blood of Christ. Accept our sacrifice of praise as we eat and drink at his command. Unite us to Christ as one body in him and give us strength to serve you in the world. And to you, one holy and eternal God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we give you praise and glory now and forevermore. Amen. And now let us partake of the elements. All we can do is praise and thank God for Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And on this Sunday of joy, it's appropriate we close with number 194, Joy to the World. Isaiah chapter 49. And now says the Lord who formed me in the womb to be his servant, and I believe this is Jesus speaking, to bring Jacob back to him in order that Israel might be gathered to him. For I am honored in the sight of the Lord, and my God is my strength. And he says, 
It is too small a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved ones of Israel. I will also make you a light of the nations so my salvation may reach the end of the earth. And this is, again, as I said earlier, what we can all be thankful for. Everyone has the opportunity to know God through Jesus and have the love and the joy and the peace of the Holy Spirit. And now let's sing this uh, chorus that we first learned up at Word of Life. Harry Balbeck was one of the early missionaries, number 203. Ring the bells. Savior lives today. 